I think also a lot of the hard things that happened in my life, I would have would have liked to have heard like, you know, your father's gonna go to work one day and he's not gonna come home. You're gonna get injured at the prime of your career and you're never ever gonna be able to play again. It's so easy to like fall back when you find out something about yourself and say, I'm just not good enough, I'm not smart enough. Meet author, motivational speaker and sports and business consultant, Tamir Goodman. Tamir once made history when his name became synonymous with the Jewish Jordan and he received global media attention as the Jewish Orthodox basketball star who refused to play on Shabbat, even if it meant turning down a full scholarship to a number one ranked university. During the height of his basketball career, Tamir was featured in Sport Illustrated, 60 Minutes, ESPN, CNN, Fox News, and New York Times, The Washington Post, and many other media sources, all featuring this rising star who would break barriers and records in his basketball playing career. And he did break barriers, and he did break records, but not in the way he once thought. What Tamir accomplished far exceeded basketball. Aside from making Aliyah to Israel and signing for Maccabi Tel Aviv, the leading Israeli and European league basketball team, Tamir also served in the IDF, where he received recognition as most outstanding soldier. Tamir also started a world-class summer overnight basketball camp in Jerusalem for players from around the world, reaching over 5,000 kids. Tamir is also the founder of Zone 190, a training device being used in the NBA, and of Sports Strings Titus, and has currently signed a contract with a leading U.S. retailer, bringing his new revolutionary idea to the masses. Tamir lives in Jerusalem, Israel, with his wife, Judy, and their five children. Welcome back to From the Inside Out. You know, the angle that you and I took, Rivka, in this conversation was we wanted to understand how do you choose? How do you make tough choices, tough decisions? And this is why, you know, in every episode, we we believe there's a very powerful lesson for all of us, you know, and even if it comes from someone who's an athlete, right? Well, we're not athletes, but it's amazing, Rivka, to me, how many practical life lessons I learned in this conversation that were just extremely applicable in my life. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. It's you know, we have that episode, Trust the Timing of Your Life, because I've really, I, I'm, I'm trusting the timing because, and somehow every episode that we do, uh, we, it's very applic- applicable to whatever's going on in our lives. And I hope to all our listeners also, which we do get such beautiful feedback about. But I found with this particular episode, I've really been working at manifesting of being present. You know, we were talking in our previous, in one of our previous episodes with Moshe Gersht about this concept of striving and arriving, having goals, and but at the same time feeling very present and and accepting what is. And I think in this episode, you come to a place of realizing that it's not always about the goal. It's really about creating a meaningful life. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. When you look up to people, you want to see that when they make a sacrifice or they make a choice, they feel proud about it and they're happy about it and they're not resentful about it. So to get the feeling from him that, you know, it may have been very hard and it was a difficult choice, um, he is proud of it and he is at peace with it and he's happy with his decision. He's not resentful of it. Right. And so there's that. There's like, you know, how to make these decisions and get through tough times, how to pivot when things don't go as planned. And I think for all of our listeners, for all of you, there must have, you know, there, 
There's always a time in life where things don't go as planned. You know, if man plans, God laughs. That's essentially the point here is what do you do when, when you know, life throws a curveball or when you have an injury or when you know you had this whole plan and then something happened and got in the way. So what do you do? How do you navigate that? How do you manage that? And that's another question that I think he answered with such clarity is like, how do you make decisions? And then how do you deal with when with things that don't go as planned? They're very much kind of hand in hand, those two things, you know, because when you make a decision, it comes with risk. How do you deal with the fallout? So I think that in this conversation, if you know, if you're looking for clarity there, you will hopefully get a lot of clarity. I feel like he just checks out the list of what a successful and meaningful life looks like. And it's he's just he's an inspiring person. Well, he's inspiring because he is inspired himself. Like he's inspired daily. Yeah. Which is inspirational and he's yeah, he has this joie de vivre, joie de vivre about him. PS, in our first question, we refer to the story of the Phoenix bird with the Labavacharebba. If you haven't heard that episode, go to episode 43, the impactful moments with Rabbi Yehuda Krinsky about the Labavacher Rebbe and the Rebbetson, and you will hear the story of the Phoenix bird. Hi, I'm Rivka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both so inspired by each other's life experiences. And it was then and there that we decided to create this platform, because we believe in the power of growth, self-awareness, and connection. Our goal is to bring you insights, research-backed tools, tips, and shortcuts, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes. We invite you to join us as we create positive change in mind, body, and soul. From the inside out. Morning. All right. How are you? Good, good morning. morning. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good. okay. How about good, you? Good. Thank God. Yeah. Baruch Hashem. Everything is great. Um, it's it's great to. It's really nice to meet you, and and, and thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, thank you so much for thinking of me, and um, really excited about it, and big fan, and honored. Awesome. Well, we're very excited too. You know, we connected to you because you had listened to our episode with my father-in-law, Rabbi Krinsky, and yes. you had written to Ida that the Phoenix Bird story had impacted your career and changed your life. Can you tell us how? Can we start off that way? Yeah. Sure. Thank you. I love Rabbi Krinsky. I've been a big fan for many, many, many years. And um, I want to say almost 25 years ago, while I was still a professional player, I went to talk to him in New York, in his office upstairs in 770. We went, I wanted to talk to him about Judaism and basketball and, um, you know, how they work together and is basketball kosher type of thing. And um, he started to tell me the story about a sculpture, a sculptor and, um, and how the Rebbe kind of gave them the green light and to use that in the service of Hashem. So kind of like surely basketball is okay. Um, and I did not get all the details of that story. This, he was just hinting to it about 25 years ago. And it gave me such a big push because for sure basketball is kosher now, and I'm going all the way. I'm going to try to make a Kiddush Hashem with basketball. I'm going to unite it, the physical with the spiritual. And it was all sounding really good. And then there was like a family emergency while I was sitting with him back home. 
And he so calmly, he picked up the phone and I was just like, kind of like what he spoke about on that Zoom too. He 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 also has it. Like he spoke about the Robinson and the Robinson, but he so calmly said, and he's like, yo, please excuse me. There's an emergency at home. I need to, I need to go home. So I never heard the whole story. I never heard the whole story. I just heard that there was a sculptor in the river. And it wasn't until all these years later that I heard the whole story of this amazing thing. And, wow. um, and now I, and now I put it all the dots together and it's, it was nice to hear. That's something that I only had the beginning part of it impacted my life so much. Now I hear the whole story. So thank you guys very much. And later in my life, when I was done playing more recently, um, I went to talk to him again and, um, before we finished the conversation, he, he said, you know, you made a really big condition, like referring to my career. And man, when he told me that, that that's something that I'm always going to always remember. And, um, it was a nice way to come full circle, but I, I've always loved him I'm a big fan. And anytime he's like talking or speaking somewhere, I always try to listen. And I, I love when he talks and he shares his stories because they're so meticulous. He always has the times and the date and it's, I just yeah. love listening. So and and you know he's he's in his eighties and he still remembers all the dates and all the times and all the details. Yeah. It's amazing. But now he's going to listen to you on this episode. You listen uh, to him and he's going to hear you. <laughs> uh, that would mean a lot to me. That would mean a lot. I, I really really admire him so much. Making a kiddush Hashem um, is a lot easier said than done. And you know it's really hard, especially when you're younger, to have to choose between two passions, right? Your love for basketball and also your passion for Judaism. And I would say, okay, you know, now maybe at this stage in your life, it might, when you have your values in place, it might be a little easier to make those decisions. But as a young boy, that conflict between your values and your love for basketball, I would imagine maybe from my own perspective, it would be hard if I was in your shoes, but could you talk about, just take us back to when you were, let's say 16, 17 years old, or whenever you kind of started in this journey, what was that like having to make this massive decision and all that pressure that came along with it? Yeah. Well, I can say that, thank God, I grew up in the perfect home for all of this. And I had the, you know, the best family, the best education, the best community. I had a lot of the teachings that are out there more. I kind of had them at a younger age. So that was very helpful for me. And, and, and at a young age, Judaism, I never saw the Judaism getting in the way of basketball. I always saw the Judaism helping me be a better basketball player. It was never a conflict. There was definitely a lot of pivots. Like I had to give back a dream scholarship to the university of Maryland. Cause I didn't want to play on Shabbat and they won the national championship. I would have been on that team. So that was like a big pivot. I had to graduate from a predominantly African-American Christian high school instead of a Jewish high school, but they were seventh day Adventists. They didn't play on Shabbat either. So I was able to go there and that was like a big pivot, but really even the hardest pivots ended up being big blessings for me within, you know, the context of basketball and my teammates and, you know, for example, I can remember when I was playing at Towson University and they changed the schedule for me and I was able to play Division One basketball on a full scholarship without playing on Shabbat. And um, there's only like one fast day that comes out on a, on a Friday that we actually need to fast. That's the It's the only time that we actually fast on a Friday. And for me, my freshman year at Towson, that Friday came out on that fast day came right after we played Thursday night. So I was like so weak after the game on Thursday night the team went to Burger King. There was no, there was nowhere for me to eat. Like I just stayed on the team bus and I'm like, can I have your water? I asked the guys on the bus, you know, water left over from the bench, from the game. And I just drank, I'm like, this is how I'm going to replenish my body, get ready for the fast. So they went to Burger King Friday. It's a, it's a fast day. I have a full practice at UConn University of Connecticut, 
full division one practice, no eating, no drinking. After practice, the team bus was supposed to take me to um, the Jewish community for Shabbat and they were going to go to the hotel. But as we got on the bus, it started snowing outside and the team and we were stuck in traffic and the sun was going down. It was about to be Shabbat. And I walked up to the front of the bus. I was so scared. I tapped my, my coach on the shoulder and I said, coach, I have a little bit of a problem. He said, what is it? I said, it's about to be Shabbat and I'm not allowed to be on the bus. So he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm going to walk to the Jewish community from here. I'm going to find the Jewish person's house where I'm supposed to stay somewhere. If I stay on the bus, it's going to be Shabbat. He goes like this, have you ever been to Connecticut? I'm like, no, but I'll figure it out. He goes, it's fine on one condition. You have to be at practice tomorrow. You don't have to play, but you need to watch. So I still no eating, no drinking, barely recovered from the night before. I walk all the way to the Jewish community. I knock on the door. I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be here for Shabbat. The next morning, I'm like, how far away is the university? Coach says I need to be at practice. The father's like, it's a two hour walk. I walk all the way in the snow. I get all the way there. I get 15 minutes late to practice. Coach was so mad. That night after the game, Saturday night, I walked all the way back that night after the game Saturday night. The coach was like, Tamir, when we get back to, to, to Towson, it's midnight, 6 a.m. You need to run suicide sprints for being 15 minutes late to practice. Suicide sprints in basketball are like the most painful sprints you can imagine. We get back on campus. We get back on campus at 6 a.m. And I, I have to run the suicides. And my body's not recovered from, all the, from the fast and the playing and everything like that. But as I'm running the suicides, I'm crying. I'm like 18 years old. I have tears dripping out of my eyes from the pain. It just, my body's like, doesn't even know what's going on. But I never felt more Jewish than I did at that moment and through the suicides. And then as I looked up, I saw that my whole team was waiting for me. They didn't go back to their dorm. All the guys, none of them were Jewish, were waiting for me to finish the, the sprints. They, they admired it so much. So even though it was like such a big pivot and it was hard, it made the Judaism come alive for me. And it also made like my teammates respect the Judaism even more and want to go out of their way to help me. And, and that's why throughout my career, if my kippah fell off, they pick it up for me. You know, if even fans, sometimes that would make fun of me during the game, after the game would say, congratulations, we're proud of you for not taking that hat off your head. Or when I couldn't, when I had to sit out on a game on Friday night, my teammates would come to my hotel room and say, you know, we won the game for you tonight because we knew you couldn't play because of Shabbat. So there was a lot of pivots, but the Judaism ultimately helped me be a better basketball player and helped me gain the respect of my teammates even more. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs said, uh, non-Jews respect Jews who respect themselves. And I think part of the Kiddush Hashem that you made was that you kind of gave other Jews, Orthodox Jews specifically, permission to be proud of who they are and not have to apologize. That dedication that you had, that's required for a pro athlete. Like you need crazy dedication to be successful as an athlete. And that's why I love what you said about how there's not a conflict you know, your ability to be so dedicated to the game because you're so dedicated to your Judaism. 100%. You refer mm-hmm. to your family, you said you appreciate the way you were brought up. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And I just saw a few days ago in the in the Jewish press, they chose five people to elaborate on a word, nostalgia. And you said you had said nostalgia at its best is timeless. And you shared a story about your father. And I think this story has a great lesson. Do you want to share this, what your father had told you? Yeah, 100%. Um, it'll all start, I'll start it with my mother first, because before I even signed up for that team, um, I, I, I was playing with my older brothers one day, and they beat me They're you know, they're older and better. And I came in the kitchen, and I was crying. And um, my brothers said to my mother, they said, Ima, tell Tamir to just take it easy. It's just a basketball game where his older brothers were supposed to beat him. We're older. 
And I was crying and I looked at my mother and I said, Ima, it's not just a game for me. It means more than just a game. I really, really love basketball and I want to be a basketball player. And then even though my mother didn't know anything about basketball, she just looked at me with her eyes and she, she just said, it's a, she didn't even say anything. She just said, it's okay. She's like, she, you're going to be a basketball player type of thing. You got, you could do this, you know, like she just made it make me feel okay. And then my father, and then they signed me up for the basketball league and I ended up playing really well. And I, I hit the game winning shot to win the championship. It was the biggest game of my life up until that point. And, you know, uh, back in the, early nineties, there was like this thing called raising the roof, like where you like, after made a big shot, you'd like raise the roof, like you were the best player. So I hit the game winning shot and I raised the roof. And then I went up to the, to the stands where my father, blessed memory was, he gave me a big hug and I was so proud of myself. And then we got in the car and, um, he, I put on my seatbelt and just as he was about to pull out of the parking lot, he looked in the rear view mirror and he looked back at me and he said, you know, I'm so proud of you for hitting the game winning shot, but a Jewish a Jewish person never reacts that way. You always must practice humility. You always remember that Hashem gave you basketball and um, you, you have to keep that in mind at all times. And I could say I ended up playing in college. I played in high school. I played professionally. My father, blessed memory, he never gave me one basketball advice ever. It was just all unconditional love and gave me his ear if I needed to say something. But that was the only time in my career where he ever mentioned something to me on the court. And it had to do with serving Hashem basically. And that lived with me forever throughout my entire career, obviously until today too. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a very special moment. So I, I grew up in, in a really amazing home and in a home that I was able to unite the physical and the spiritual as much as possible. These are the messages that I grew up with. And that was like a game changer for me in my basketball journey. So very lucky that I went to, you know, the Rebbe's Lag Bomber parade and got that like burst of Jewish pride and, and not being bashful, like you said about, you know, hiding your Judaism. And I'm very, very, very blessed for those moments. Wow. And that's really special that you got to come to a Lagbama parade. These words that your father shared with you, when I read them, I really felt like that must have had an impact, not only in your successes in basketball, but in your decision to leave because of your values. Yeah, I think, I think like it's a great benefit because for me personally, like if I was playing well, okay. And things were going really, really well in my life. Um, I could never be satisfied because it was never about me. It was always about something bigger than me. It was a relationship with Hashem and, and trying to do good and trying to inspire. So it's like, if another player would want to take a day off and say, Hey, I, I've already reached my goals for the day. I'm, I'm resting tomorrow. I would be like, I can't, I have so much more to accomplish. And then when I would mess up or, not play well or things weren't going well, I always had to pick myself up quickly. I couldn't feel too down about myself because, you know, if it, was, if it was just about me, I, you know, I'd probably stay down, but I'm like, I got to pick myself up. There's a bigger purpose here. So that was very, very beneficial to me. It helped me very much during the good times and the bad times of my career. And I'm sure that there's, there were so many applications that you that you brought from your career to life. Like, especially now as a father of, is it five, five kids? You had? Yeah, five. Kids, Baruch Hashem, five kids. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, look, I think when I was like 16 years old, my coach took me to play against college players that were like 21, 22. And I wasn't used to like players that strong, that fast, people stealing the ball from me. And I remember one night specifically, like they, you know, they were just be bigger, better, stronger, faster. And I like went up for a layup and I was so frustrated and I put my head up against the the mats that are on the wall behind the hoops. And I, I was like kind of crying a little bit. 
And my coach came over to me and he's like, look, um, do you want to do this or you don't want to do this? He's like, cause I'm like, he's like, if you don't want to do this, let's just go home right now. But if you want to do this, you have to pick yourself up and you're going to have to learn how to play against that speed. You're going to have to learn how to play against that strength. So what do you want to do? And I cried. I said, I want to do it. He's like, well, if you want to do it, you got to pick yourself up and get back out there and keep fighting. And that was like the big lesson that I learned at a very young age. You know, there were so many terrible, challenging moments in my career. I mean, like after my freshman year at Towson, for example, coach changed the whole schedule for me and, and, and I was living my dream and everything was great. Then my coach got fired and they brought in a new coach who would not accommodate me. And he was really, 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 really mean to me. And I told the athletic director that something's wrong. The new coach doesn't like me. And I told everyone and no one was listening and no one was listening. And eventually that new coach, he assaulted me so badly in the locker room physically and the police busted in and, and they took me to the police station. And I, and, and I never wanted to play basketball again. And the next day in the newspaper, it was like, everyone's like, oh, Tamir's so weak. He should be stronger than this. He should be able to, what kind of college player is he? And like, no one even knew what happened in the locker room. No one even knew what happened months leading up to all this. And so many challenging moments throughout my career. And it's just a huge part of it is being eventually to pick yourself up and being resilient. And I think as a father now, that's like one of the, you know, hopefully one of the best ways I could, lessons I could give my kids and teach them is it got to be able to pick yourself up in life. You have to be able to be strong. And and, and move forward. And every time you do it, you're going to, you're going to come out with a new blessing. <laughs> we usually like to ask the question, you know, what would you say either? What would you say to your child or what would you say to your younger self? Usually it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, what did you need to hear when you were younger? And those are the things that you usually, um, you know, would say to your children. So, it, so those are the things you would say, right? Like just get, you know, pick yourself back up and, and everything is meant to be. Is there anything else that you would have said to you back then, like in the locker room to give yourself chizot? Yeah, just throughout my whole journey, I think I would tell myself when I was younger that like, you know what, Tamir, you're going to, it's going to happen. You're going to be able to live out your dream, even though it seems impossible. You're going to get that scholarship. You're going to play division one. You're going to play professionally without playing on Shabbat. Like you're going to, to accomplish that. I think that would have been like really like nice for me to hear. I think also a lot of the hard things that happened in my life, I would have would have liked to have heard like, you know, your father's going to go to work one day and he's not going to come home. You're going to get injured at the prime of your career and you're never, ever going to be able to play again, but you're going to be blessed with, with the most amazing wife and family in the world. And that's going to make everything okay for you. And it's, it's like, you have to go through the challenges to help you reach your potential, but sometimes it's like nice to know that you're, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. It's ironic how these challenges are what's inspiring to all of us and have led you to where you are today. I actually heard from, you were brought out by a shliach. He's my nephew, Rabbi Dudi and Hannah Vigla. And they, yeah. you spoke in Palm Gardens and they told me that you are very you're content and happy with your life today, which is very inspiring because somebody who, you know, had this potential to be hugely successful in, in the career that you loved and gave that up because of your Judaism and wanted to live a Torah life and you're not, you're not regretful. You're not bitter about it. First of all, I wonder if um, you did have regret and how you overcame that. And also what joy means to you today, how, how you came to this place of joy. Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. Well, first of all, I never quit early. Like that thing that, that makes me really like more content. Like I never quit. I, 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 pushed myself to tears every single day in training, did every single surgery possible, did every single thing possible 
to to make this happen. And so I think like that makes it a little bit easier. Um, and then towards the end of my career, I was already playing professionally in Israel for like five years. By that point, we already had two kids. And um, I was starting to get to the point where like I wanted to be like a regular father. You know, like when you play, you have to save your legs all the time. You can't take extra steps throughout the day. You need a rest. Like you have practice in the morning, you need a rest. And then you have practice again at night. Like you have to save your legs. So it's like, I I don't want to hold the kids. I'm always like trying to rest. And I'm like, you know what? Saturday night, practice right away. Friday, you get home right before Shabbat. You know, I just felt like at that point, it was like, okay, I never quit early. And I gave it everything I had, but then I was like ready to be a real father and and be able to take my kids on on a walk and not have to worry about my legs and everything like that. So it was, it was like, thank God I got to experience that and lived it out. And it's like everything in its time. And by that point, I was ready to to move on too. And ultimately, my goal was to prove that you could play Division One on a scholarship without playing Shabbat and also play professionally without playing on Shabbat. And I think like once that happened, I feel like that part of my journey. I was shalem, you know, I was content with that. And I think a big part of it is never quit early. I think it would have hurt a lot more if I would have quit early. Right. That's a good lesson. <laughs> and what about your joy today? What what does bring you joy today? Yeah, I think it's like a different kind of win, you know, like when you play and you're playing, it's like everything's about how many points are you scoring? How well are you playing? Like, you know, it's all about on the court. And I think now it's like taking everything I learned from basketball and applying it to my life. Like how many people did I help today? How many like through my contact and networks, did I help people get a job? Did I help, you know, think of a product that's going to help the next generation? Did I, you know, was I the best husband I could be? Did I, was I like listening to my kids when they needed to tell me something? Did I help them with their homework? Did I, you know, did I win the day? Do you know, did I win the day? Like, that's like what makes me proudest, you know, how did I take basketball today and apply it to my life in a way to better the world and better my family? I think that's, that's how I live now. I tried. (laughs) Hey, I love that. Did I win the day? you know, you talk about pivoting and pivoting is very important for anybody, even someone who, you know, is kind of on track and doing exactly what they thought they would do. You never know. You always have to kind of be ready to, you know, shift. So now you've got a, I'm hearing a new project underway. That's, that's pretty exciting. Could you tell us a little bit? Yeah. About that? Yeah. It's a lot, lot of pivoting because like, I would, you know, my whole life was just basketball. Like when all your friends are like going out, you're in the gym. You know, it's like, all, you know, is basketball. And then when I got hurt, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't play anymore. You know, what am I going to do? So involved in a lot of different things. And I launched all my camps and then during the pandemic, like it all got shut down hundred percent. And I launched a product before this that got stolen from me. And then one day, like in the, in the, in the height of the lockdowns here in Israel, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's like, Abba, why don't you think of another product? And I'm like, I don't want to think of another product. I just got the other one stolen. And it's just like, you know, I, I wasn't feeling it so much. And then I got an email that same night from the basketball association in Israel that said, look, if we ever go back to basketball, okay, every player needs to bring their own ball. You can't pass the ball because there's bacteria on the ball. And it's been proven that the second you pass the ball to somebody else, you could, God forbid, make them sick because you're passing them the germs. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we got to the point in our life where we can't pass a basketball anymore. Like, this is unbelievable. I got to do something about it. So I thought to myself, well, why don't we use the net under the rim as like a cleaner? For the ball. So like when the ball goes through the net, we'll take off the bacteria and dry the sweat off the ball. Um, and uh, Ramash, I lost like all my Parnassal, all my camps, all my clinics, basketball, the, the tourism industry, Israel, everything was completely shut down. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And I ran around for like a year straight and uh, we built it. I built and patented the first ever antimicrobial moisture wicking basketball net, which we've already signed with professional teams around the world and colleges and high schools and it was going to be in sporting goods stores all across America starting next month, as Rath Hashem. So 
hopefully that will be really good. And I'm also wow. um, just wrote a children's book about being dyslexic, a dyslexic basketball player, <laughs> my journey, and also working on a movie. I just like was hit so hard during the pandemic. I just looked at my wife and I'm like, these are my three things I need to do. I, I need to come up with a new product. I need to, um, you know, make this movie and I need to write this book. And she just said, go for it. She always has my back at hundred percent and I love her. So <laughs> we did it. Really incredible. In that moment when you kind of, you know, during COVID, when your that, that um, work that you were doing wasn't working out, did you have those same feelings you did um, when you were going through your basketball experience? Was it like that? Yeah, same? that that's when the basketball kicks in in my life. Basketball kicks in my life because basketball, you miss a lot of shots, okay? You lose a lot of games. Like, you learn how to pick yourself up. You have no choice. And, um, yeah, that's definitely part of the basketball training. There's a lot of things with basketball that last with me forever for my whole life. Those are, like, the hidden blessings of basketball. You know, time management, communication, resilience, training, putting yourself in a situation to succeed mentally, physically, you know, um, all these things, you know, communication, relationships, like all of this is from basketball. And that's the blessing of basketball that lasts for me, for, with me forever, for sure. Yeah, the quote, this is not a basketball I, quote. I, I, I you quote, but you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. That's Give right. That. That's yeah, right. exactly. So I, there we go. I had the best coach growing up and, and the, the principal of the school said to coach, are we going to have a good year this year? And my coach said, I'll let you know in 30 years. And the principal's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, if these end up being, if these boys end up being good husbands, leaders in their community, da, 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 they live good lives. And I know we had a good season. And he basically always taught us the deeper lessons of basketball through the game to him. That was what it was always about. And uh, it was hard. Like I didn't want to talk to the media after a game when I was like 15 or 16 and I had a bad game and he forced me to go out there and face the media. And he really built me up for, for these type of moments. So I'm forever grateful to him. That's really awesome. And yeah, I love that your, your experiences that in, in your childhood or as a teenager have impacted you so much today too, like seeing you go through this difficult time in your business. And then I'm sure it was hard during that time, but you picked yourself up and you, you diverted to another area and you're making it happen. Dr. Shan, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, and, and, and on that topic of, you know, um, please God, it should be very successful for you and you should have continued success. Has the definition of success changed for you? What is your definition of success? Yeah, I think the definition of success is um, trying to reach your potential. You know, Hashem gives you this journey in the world. And then when it's all over, you check back in with Hashem. And I guess the goal is to say, you entrusted me with this mission and I'm handing you back the keys. I hope I did a good job. So <laughs> to me, that's the, that's the definition of success. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, you do your part. You do. you got to work hard and do your thing. But Hashem's the one that's, it's in his hands. hundred percent. I was listening to a Shar HaBitachan class given by Rabbi Shays Taub, and he said, we can do what God's work, not his job. So our work is the acts of goodness and kindness and our part using our potential. And his job is running the world and taking care of everyone. Yeah. And I just want to like give a shout out to you guys and to Rabbi Shays Taub and to Rabbi YY and to everybody like for someone like me, who's so severely dyslexic and going to school every day and seeing all the books and seeing everyone who's so mentally able to grasp and has like great reading and writing skills. It's just like, it's so frustrating to go to school every day, all those years. And then boom, here come the podcast. And it's like, now 
I could learn, you know, I could listen and I, cause I just can't read and write, but I'm really good at listening and remembering. So it's like, I love listening to your podcast and it's, it's, it's sometimes you guys say like, this has a far reach, but you should just know, especially for people like me that have such a hard time reading and writing. It's like such a game changer and it's so refreshing. And thank you guys for everything that you do. Thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, I connect to your experience and I would love to hear more because we do talk a lot about mental health on this podcast and this platform. You know, I've been open about the fact that I was diagnosed with ADHD and, you know, I had my own learning journey. Um, it happened much later because in high school, I, I didn't know at the time that I had this kind of disability, which I now see as a strength. But could you talk a little about dyslexia and how, um, because I did, you know, when I was doing some research, I saw that there were certain things that it, it enabled you to do that other people couldn't do. Um, so I just wanted to tap into the strengths of something that is seen as a disability, but really it can be something amazing if it's channeled in the right way. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So. Um... Call it about you. Yeah. And I, I, I listened to you talking about it. I listened to you talking about public speaking and everything. It's so inspiring. My earliest memory is like one of my earliest memories as a child was sitting in front of my father's bed and all my, everyone else was like on his bed and they were all watching an NBA game. And um, I'm watching the play. I'm watching them play. And I scream out, alley-oop. Like there's about to be an alley-oop in like three or four seconds. I'm like, alley-oop. I say it out loud for everyone to hear. And then next thing you know, like three seconds later, there's an alley-oop. And everyone in my family was like, oh my God, Samir, how did you know that? And um, that was like the first time that I'm realizing that like I'm, I could see things on the court that other people aren't seeing, especially when it comes to passing. And um, as I got older and I realized like I did get diagnosed with severe dyslexia, like the doctor told my coach, he's like, he has no idea how I even play basketball, even though my coach already knew like I was having the trouble, like I couldn't look at the scoreboard. I was mixing up the score all the time. And I saw my teammates, are we winning? Are we losing? doctor goes like this, but you're going to be able to see things on the court that other people don't see. He's like, it's probably the reason you're so good at basketball. He's like, it's going to be really hard for you in school, but it's probably the reason that you're, you know, and that, that was my confidence getting on the court. I am going to see, get the ball to my teammates that they don't even realize they're open. And I would have broadcasters like even Casey Jones, who just passed away this year, he was a huge coach in the NBA and Celtics and then radio. Like he, I remember him coming over and he's like, how did you see that? You know, I'm like, these huge basketball legends. And I always used to just say, it's like the hidden blessing of being dyslexic. So it's very hard to tell a kid, like they have a learning disability or they find out that they, that they're dyslexic. It makes you feel like you're not smart or not good enough. But for me, it was really embarrassing because I had so much media attention. There was one time that I had 700 media requests in one week. Okay. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, like just in one week, 60 minutes, like and I'm like, I have all these division one offers to play college basketball. And I don't know if I can pass the SATs. Like how embarrassing is that going to be? Like I have the offer, but I can't get the minimum to pass the SATs. And then like all this media are going to find out about it. It's going to be so, so devastating. And ultimately with a lot, a lot of work, I like do basketball clinics to make money. And then use that money to help me play for pay for private teacher to help me pass the SATs. And I worked and I passed my SATs. Wow. I barely passed. But then when I got to college, I made Dean's list. So I always tell kids like it, the SATs don't not determine if you're smart or not. Okay. Just because you're dyslexic, it doesn't mean that you're not smart. It just means your brain works in a unique way and, and you could work and, and develop your skills and look for, I could become a better reader. I could become you know better at it, but ultimately let me get my confidence from what I am good at. And, um, I, I coach thousands of kids. I deal with thousands of kids. And that's one of my main messages. It's so easy to like fall back when you find out something about yourself and say, I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And it's all about finding your own unique blessing and flying, flying forward with that. 
I love this conversation. I, I mean, I don't want to veer off too much, but you, so you did well in college. I mean, wow. First of all, that's amazing. Especially considering that you did have this thing that you were working through. And, um, I failed through high um, elementary and high school and I had a 4.0 college GPA and I, and people ask, you know, well, how did you do it? Does that, is that may, maybe that means ADHD isn't real, right? Maybe that means dyslexia isn't real, like, but it's obviously it is real. Um, so how did you do that? How are you able to, to accomplish that? Okay, so it's actually funny, but there's a really old Hasidic tale that used to help me through college basketball, divisional basketball every day. <laughs> there was like a big Hasid, his name was Rabbi Mendel Fudrafas. And I heard one time when he was like in labor camps, he didn't have to work on Shabbat. And all the prisoners said to him, well, how come you don't need to work on Shabbat? And he answered, if you prove yourself during the six days of the week, they'll let you alone on Shabbat. So I took that to every single day, I'm going to win every single race and in, in, in sprints. I'm going to do the best I can in the weight room. I'm going to do every single thing I can in class. I'm going to work so, so hard. If they change the schedule for me, I have to do every single thing possible during those six weeks, six days of the week to do good in school, to do everything good so that they could say, oh, it was worth it that we changed the schedule for this kid. And like that little Hasidic tale gave me so much motivation to like work so, so hard to get good grades in college, even with all my learning uh, challenges. There's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a little, a little like easier when you're on the basketball team because your, your day is so structured. You have to be in the weight room at six 30 then in the morning. And then you have team breakfast. There wasn't any kosher food. I had a little microwave in my bag that I just keep kosher like that. And then you're in practice and then you have mandatory study hall from seven 30 to nine 30. So like you have no choice. Those are the only two hours you have a day. It's not like a regular college student. I'm going to, you know, study. No, those are, that's it. You got to, lock down those two hours. So that was a little helpful being on the team because you like you knew you had to get it done right then and there. That's awesome. Wow. Do you have a good daily, do you have like a, an empowering daily routine that you stick yeah. to? Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. Let's hear it. Very. It might drive other people. It might sound crazy for other people, but for me, it helps me be the best I can be. Um, so my wife and I, <laughs> I don't know, she's very like... I don't know. She doesn't usually like when I, she likes to keep things. She's very snoo and stuff, but we get up like super early. We work out every single day together and we what listen to something that? like in the fours. In the fours. We we yeah. have an episode on the 5am club, but we haven't done one on the fours yet. Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. us what, yeah. why four, why four? Cause it's like the, before the kids are up and it's like our special time and we, we love working out together and we like either listen to a class or something really inspirational and, um, and work out at the like, same time. We work out at the same time every single morning. Now I'm saying you, you listen to the class and work out at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes we'll talk like that's our best time to talk. Like we, we talk, we're like so it's best before, friends. It's before the crack of dawn. Yeah, we work out every morning. I'll never miss my workout. Like, we'll never. Me neither. Like, I like, can relate to yeah. that too, but it's not at yeah. four thirty. It's um, yeah. So I <laughs> the morning. So I'll make it really short. I work out twice a day. I work okay. out twice a day at a four, and then I work out again after lunch. I only really eat lunch. I drink a shake in the morning. The lunch is what only kind of shake. Like I'll make myself different one: banana, tamarim, uh, dates, uh, all healthy shake okay. in the morning. Then at lunch, I just have lunch. I don't eat meat like just like a salad or something healthy. And then I have another shake at like four. And then I usually never eat again until the next day after four o'clock. And I, I don't have a car. I haven't had to own the car in eight years. I ride my bike everywhere. So Are you in Yerushalayim? Um, Is that where you live? Yeah, Yerushalayim. So it's like, uh, th- these are like, I need that Torah and I need the two workouts and healthy eating 
for just for me to be the best husband, father, empower every day. Like even on Friday night, I don't eat. I don't eat at the meal with everybody on Friday night. I just have the minimum of the challah and that's it. Even on the on the Pesach, I only do what I have to do for the seder because I just won't be able to serve Hashem as much if I if I eat and then go to sleep, like my body just can't handle it. it just can't. Well, like, you know, you know, the Rambam actually says not to eat. I mean, you're meant to eat. Um, you're meant to be satisfied to the point of energy, not eat, not to be full all the time. So you're doing it the right yeah. way. I love the Rambam. I love the Rambam. I love how the Rambam like saw so much holiness in the body, in the physical. <laughs> like I, I feel so much closer to Hashem when I work out than when I die. It's not even close. Or it, it, or it's like when I'm doing, when I'm on my bike or I'm not, like, I feel Hashem so much more in the physical movements than I don't know. It's because I'm so dyslexic or what, but it's like, that's no, it's when the, I, I mean, it, it could I, be that, but it's also the physical and the spiritual are one, they're team players. So when you, when you're enhancing both of them, you feel connected. I, when I work out in my first workout in the morning, I feel like I'm giving my body back to Hashem. It's the holiest part of the day for me and thanking Hashem, nice. like no doubt. And I just a specific exercise every day that I do. That's like my hardest exercise, but it's also like the one that makes me feel the closest to Hashem. What is that exercise? I like, do you know what a BOSU ball is? <laughs> it's crazy. If people came into our house in the morning, they wouldn't believe half the stuff we're doing. So, I love like, hearing. Well, I'm a health coach. So I like Rivka, hearing that. Rivka is all about that. Rivka lives, that uh, lives breathes health exercise. So, well, you know, for me hearing about, we want, I want to share with my listeners the kind of exercise that empowers you. All right. So I'm obsessed with the TRX. Like, do you know the TRXs, the ropes, the yellow ropes, the yellow yeah. and black ropes? Okay. I, those are, that's my favorite in the world. So I use the ropes. We do those with my, my trainer. Right. So my, my knees are the worst from basketball, all the surgery. So I, uh, the, you know what the BOSU ball is? The blue ball, the half moon ball. Oh the, yeah. The, the, to do squats, jumping squats. Yeah. So I, yeah. I put my, what specifically my career ending knee surgery knee on the BOSU ball. And then I put my other leg on the TRX and I do one legged like yeah. squats with my bad knee on the BOSU ball. And I'm just like, Oh my God, thank you. Hashem. This knee has been through so much, so many surgeries. But here I am. I'm, th- I'm thankful that I could still do You're this. You're pivoting. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically. Okay. So that's your favorite. So you do hit style workouts. You're doing those kind of things. All movement. Like 90% of it with the TRX. I love the TRX. Yeah, it's Most good. My favorite combination. He loves it too. So. Nice. So you do that together. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, so, yes. so that's your routine. And then when does work come into play? That's in the middle of the day? Yeah. Look, everything got messed up with the pandemic. I used to pride myself on the pandemic of not working at night. You know, I've even turned down huge coaching opportunities because I didn't want to be at practice at night. I want to put my kids to bed at night. I want to, I'm very involved in their every emotional thing that they need in life. I'm always there for them. But now everything got messed up with the pandemic because I'm dealing a lot with America. So the hours are all messed up, but hopefully one day it'll all go back to how it was. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so you know, we also, yeah, we're, we have a busy house. We rescued this dog that she needed a lot of help. So we need to give her attention in the morning, get all the kids out. And, uh, then, then I start working. Yeah. Nice. Baruch Hashem, I, don't, I don't need a lot of sleep too. That's like one thing. I just don't need a lot of sleep. But well, how many hours sleep do you get? I, I could be sleep for four hours and be totally fine. Like that's totally amazing. Fine. That wouldn't work yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do find though, when you've got like an adrenaline and you're very, very passionate about something, you can function on little sleep. So I guess you're going through that every day. Yeah. I'm fired um, up every day. I'm fired yeah, up amazing. Day. I, I want to ask you, um, cause you, you found your favorite workouts for people who, um, there are many people who are uninspired by working out because they haven't found the workout that they love or the f- workout that speaks to them. What would you tell to 
what would you say to kids and adults? Any any inspiring words or any way to, for yes. them to find what they love? Yeah, the first thing to do is the most important exercise in the world. The most important exercise in the world is to start. Because once you start, it doesn't matter what you're doing, any type of movement, your body's already going to get you into a different mode of where like you're, you're able to do this. And I think a lot of times the HRS trying to pull us away and say, I don't like this exercise. I don't like swimming. I don't like basketball. I don't like this. And then you never start. And then you, so the, it doesn't matter what you do, just start. And then once you start, you'll fall into the next thing. And hopefully you'll start feeling so good about yourself that you'll just keep moving forward and forward and forward and forward. And then I would say for people that struggle, don't do something that's like so hard. that's going to turn you off for the next day. You know, just do something that's going to draw you to come back and make it easier for you the next day. There's a, thank God, a, lot, a lot of ways to, to stay active. Love that. Just start. I love that tip. Um, and also not to overdo it because then you get burnt out. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love everything that. with everything, not even yeah. just working out with life. I mean, you know, people yeah. who feel inspired or unmotivated to do something, you know, they don't have their jam. They don't have their passion. Like that's, that's it. Yeah. So I just want to ask you because you did share what you eat during the day, but what would you say is the food that gives you the most energy? Oh, for sure. My shakes. I, I love my shakes. I, I, I feel like my shakes are so empowering. They make my body feel so good. Thank God. And I really don't feel like I need food after that. I feel like I'm just flowing and like my, you know, all the parts of my bone, my body and stuff, but all the surgeries that I had so many injuries, so many injuries, so many surgeries. It's just like, for me personally, the, it, I feel like my body's in good motion and, and my surgeries don't hurt. My bones don't hurt. And thank God I'm able to feel good. Like I haven't, like if I would, I remember when I used to eat chicken or meat, like I used to like the way it tasted, but I, it, my, my bones would hurt more and I was more sluggish and I wasn't as empowered. I wasn't as fired up. Like you talk about, like, I feel so much more fired up this way with, with the shake in the morning, shake in the evening and just a, a healthy lunch. So can you just share one of them with us? Exactly what you put in? Yeah. So I only, it was like, uh, <laughs> you're not going to, uh, you're not going to get away with not telling me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I only use power of milk, like almond milk. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'll have to like, um, I go get fresh blueberries, strawberries. That's great. Uh, Antioxidants. Uh, pears or did you say uh, apples bananas. and pears yeah, yeah apples pears bananas A almost every morning i like go and i i get fresh and i put it in the power of milk sometimes i'll like put some different types of like um nuts in there like uh cashew or pistachio something like that and sometimes i put a little bit of peanut butter in there and i feel amazing like that's all right. i need do you use protein powder at all? Like, do you ever use any protein powder? No, okay. No, no oh, I don't need I that. A little bit I did when I was playing because I sometimes I'd come home from practice and I was like too tired to really eat and I knew that I wasn't replenishing my body enough. But nowadays at this stage in my life, uh, Hashem, I, don't, I don't need to. Um, I only eat at very specific hours. I don't I don't break those hours. That's like a really right. important thing. Don't break the yeah. hours. Like, so you really hours. stick to your routine. I love what you put in your shake. That's great. Do, uh, there's a place called Rebar in Israel that they have an amazing shake with like dates in it. I think it's called Recharge or something. It's really, yeah. really good. You've gone there? Uh, yeah. Our, yeah. Our daughter loves it there too. So we, I got her a little uh, card. It's card. So she could just pick out the ones that she wants. They get like 12 shakes. For <laughs> yeah. No one, makes, no one makes shakes like Rebar. There's also, well, in the US, there's, I don't know if you've heard of Celsius. This, I'm actually drinking it right now. It's like a vitamin cool. drink. But um, I'll have to check it out. Israel, yeah, uh, a lot of athletes drink it. Anyway, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, we got I just want you to know that I'm big into smoothies too. I love them. I find that when I started incorporating smoothies, and even just putting greens in a drink as well, if I don't end up getting my greens in the day, it's it's so uplifting.
Yeah. I, everyone has a different body and stuff, but for me yeah. personally, game changer. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's Everyone different, but I relate to your um, feeling after having a smoothie. Awesome. So Bezrat Hashem, if you come to Jerusalem one day, I'll, I'll make you one. <laughs> yeah. And if you come to Brooklyn, I'll make you one. <laughs> okay. It's a deal. And there's all these research studies that have been done where they go to senior citizens' homes and they ask them, they interview them and say, you know, what would you have done differently? What would you have, you know, done if you can turn back time, if you could change things? And, and most of the things that they said are the things that you have chosen to do, the decisions that you've made. And I know they didn't come easy. I think a lot of our listeners will be inspired by this. And so I really appreciate everything that you shared. When your name came up and Ida had mentioned to me that you were inspired by the Phoenix tree, it changed your life. And then I watched watched um, a video of you and I, I said right away, yes, I want to interview him because I feel like the world today is really more conscious of making life meaningful and um, that success means something different to what it used to mean. More that like, it's not about the goal, it's who we become in the process. And it just seeing like a, it, your joy and your and your fulfillment and were present in this video. Like I could see you had this certain type of life earlier, like we discussed, and then your life is very different now, but your life has a lot of meaning. That's what you're looking to create is the meaning more than the goal. It's more like, let's make life meaningful till we get there. And, yeah. and, and that that brings you joy. And, and that's why we wanted to interview you because we all want that. Yeah, thank you. And I could just honestly say that like the greatest miracle and everything for me was, you know, meeting my wife like that. That was I really needed to meet her when I met her and she really saved my life. And every single thing I attribute to her and I every single morning. How did you meet her? I'll tell you. And every single morning I tell her that and I never, ever stop thinking Hashem. Um, I met her after I got traded. One second. You tell her that every single morning, every single second, not, not, so it nice. just comes out. It just comes out. I don't even, before we leave, before we start our workout right away, it's just what I feel every single morning. And, um, I live it and I know it and I can never thank Hashem enough for that. I mean, it's, she's everything to me, everything you're saying in here is all because of, of her. And we, we actually met after I got traded. And I was involved in a mitzvah. I was going to go help kids in a hospital in Israel and share with me national service that was arranging it. Introduced, she was friends with the lady that was a chart of it. And I met her and we got engaged after two weeks. Um, and I just, man, I, I think about this all day long because it's up until that point in my life, I had great friends and I had everything and great people around me, but it, there was so much hype and so much media and so much everything about basketball and basketball and basketball. And all of a sudden Hashem sent me this angel. She just cared about me in a way that had nothing to do with any of that ever, not even close. And, but like she could understand all of it because she came from an athletic background and she gave up a lot of for her own athletic journey. Like she also could have been a division one athlete and she chose Shabbat instead. And, and her father of blessed memory was a coach too. Billy Joel like has like the perfect saying in one of his songs is like, did you, I don't know the exact quote is like something. Did you know, like before I met you, I don't know how I survived something like that. It's like, that's how I felt with her. Like I really needed to meet her when I did. And Hashem had mercy on me and, and is the greatest blessing in my life. And I never take one second for granted. And we're going to have 20th year anniversary this uh, summer. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. You know, I think that's yeah. part of your, because you sh you have gratitude, like you're very aware of the gifts and the blessings that God has given you, 
that is what helps you in your day because, you know, sometimes we lose sight of what we have around us, but your light seems to always be switched on. You're switched on <laughs> to the gratitude. Yeah, I've been through a lot, a lot of challenges, especially after like when the coach assaulted me, like I was so broken and so hurt and so far away from myself. And I got over, I, you know, somehow picked myself up, got the contract, came to Israel, you know, met Judy. I served in the Israeli army. I really like these last 20 years have been incredible because of her, you know, Baruch Hashem. Wow. Kudos to you and to her. And, um, and I'm sure your kids are incredible having the, these two living examples of what it means to live a joyful and meaningful life. We normally would ask a question, like if you had a billboard or mission statement, you know, headline, what would it say? But I feel like for you, like if there was a movie written about you or a movie made about your life, you know, what would, what would it be called? Like, what would the title be? Well, he's or in the middle of making a movie. <laughs> yeah. Go there right now. I would say it was something that my coach always used to say to me. And he always used to say, never let society dictate what you can or cannot do. And for me growing up and everyone saying, everyone plays on Shabbat. No one's ever going to take you. No one's ever going to make accommodations for you. This is impossible. You're wasting your time. You know, my coach used to say, never let society dictate what you can or cannot do. And I'm glad that I was able to live out my dream, even though society said that was almost impossible. Yeah. I love that. Prove everybody wrong. <laughs> so that was, that was a big for me. Nice. And your upcoming movie is about that or no? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot about that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and a lot about also my book. It, it's never let society dictate what you can or cannot do, but in a way that like you're proving it to yourself you know, there's like this great energy in basketball where everyone's like, oh, that coach, you know, that coach, I'm going to show that coach or I'm going to show that player that, you know, and then I always feel like, okay, but then if all your energy is going into proving that coach wrong, then you're only getting up to as far as their ego is. But if you go after your own potential, it might be much greater than that. So I always say like, let society, don't let society do what you can or cannot do, but in a way that you're like, you're going after, you're proving yourself to yourself and what a shem is expecting from you because that could be a lot higher than proving someone else's ego wrong, in my opinion. So that's, wow. yeah. you know, that's the way I look at it. Even though in general in basketball, it's all about proving the other person wrong. And that never really like got me too motivated. <laughs> Rifka, Rifka, what's that quote, Rifka? You have a, a really good quote about that. Oh, compare yourself, that one, compare yourself only to who you were yesterday, not what to someone else's today. But also, um, you know, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, we interviewed him, but I heard on another podcast where he was interviewed by Tim Ferriss, he has this question of what would be the one thing you would take with you if you were going somewhere that's under $100? Well, I think this is over $100, but he said he would take um, if, uh, he would take um, earphones because if earphones, he's able to listen to the music he wants to listen to that he's inspired by and it blocks out the noise. So, you know, yeah. you're kind of like blocking out the noise of everyone else and focused on what inspires you and where you want to go. Yeah. I've had so many eyeballs on me for so many years. It hurts. It's hard sometimes. It's it's like, even till today, like I, I, I like, I don't daven at all. Like I wake up super early and daven and just like be with Hashem and then like just take the kids to shul on Shabbos because it's just like, I always felt like, oh my God, everyone's like, how does Tamir daven? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like all these eyeballs, all these eyeballs. And like, it's just, it, 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 you gotta like, like you say, like focus in on like your relationship with Hashem sometimes and like where you're going. And, and, and I don't know, it's, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I lived it, you know, it's weird, but yeah. looks like you're doing a good job of blocking out the noise now and doing your thing. Yeah. Thank you. What, what are you looking forward to now? 
I'm really looking forward to um, Avivnet, the net. Um, I'm really looking forward to the book and the movie, but I'm mostly looking forward to just continuing to refine myself and be the best father and husband and person that I could be in this world. <laughs> to, to wrap up, we wanted to do something fun with you. And okay. we do this sometimes with our guests. We wanted you to finish our sentences for us okay. in the first person. So the best compliment I ever received was? The best compliment that I ever received was um, from Robert Kinsky when he said, you made a big Kiddush Hashem. I think that was, that's something I'll always remember and remind Hashem after 120 years. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. That's um, beautiful. My, my favorite thing to do for self-care is? My favorite thing for self-care is work out, learn Torah, um, and ride my bike. <laughs> Nice. My favorite place to go to with my wife and children in Israel is? Oh, I'll, I'll have to separate two okay. different things. My favorite yes. place to go with my wife is we walk on Shabbat morning early and go look at the old city. That's my favorite thing to do with her. And oh, nice. um, with my kids, there's one time a year, there's a gluten-free weekend in Eilat where they like take over the kitchens and they make everything gluten-free. So kids that are gluten-free could like experience going to a hotel without having to worry about what they're going to eat. So my daughter is really celiac. So once a year we go down there as a family to that gluten-free weekend and it's by far my kids and, and all, it's our favorite Shabbos of the, of the year. Oh. It's our favorite place to go <laughs> in Israel. It's in Eilat. Wow. When is that? It's uh, usually every February. And what's the, what's the program called? Irgun Celiac, the organization of celiac of Israel. I love Israel. Israel's so good like that. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so empowering for the kids to spend Shabbos together and just like eat whatever they want. It's like the only time. And is the food really good? Yeah, it's very good. No one could tell the difference that it's like, you can't really tell that it's gluten-free. The kids love it. Because like- Someone who's gluten-free, it makes them feel so, like it kind of gives them something to look forward to. Like, you know, something good. They love it. Yeah. They love it. Every family ties a little green uh, ribbon on their car and they drive down to a lot. So every time you see another green ribbon, everybody knows like they're going to a lot for the gluten-free. That's Shabbos. so amazing. <laughs> Do they share the recipes with you so you can make them at home? The year? <laughs> they send you constant stuff throughout the year, stuff like that. Yeah. Recipes, new yes. gluten-free products. They stay in touch with you the whole year. Yes. <laughs> That's so nice. Amazing. Uh, next is um, a myth I would like to dispel is... A myth that I like to dispel is that just people that are dyslexic are not smart. I'm going to throw an ADHD while we're at it. Okay. Yeah. You've got to go. Okay. You've totally dispelled the myth. Um, we'd love to end with you sharing a favorite quote or a favorite message. Yeah. My favorite quote for sure, like not even close. And I have it hanging over my Shabbos, our Shabbos, Shabbos table at home is from the Balatanya that said, um, I don't. I don't want your Hashem. I don't want your Olamaba. I only want to be with you. To me, that is everything in Judaism. Because when we serve Hashem, and I know this, like how I used to do, I used to like, please Hashem, let me play good. I'm basically just serving myself, you know. But then when I learned to just say, Hashem, I, I just want to play because that's how I serve you, and I just, it's all about the relationship. I'm not looking for anything in return. The relationship itself is the greatest reward. And I think like that was such a game changer for me. I, I look at it every day in our house and that's, I like when our kids look at it too. I think it's, it's a game changer for life and our relationships with our friends and our spouses and Hashem. It's, it's about the relationship itself. And I, I love how the Balatanya like thought about that so many years ago. Game changer for me. I love it. Beautiful. 
thank you so, so much for, for doing this and for being here. Yeah, thank you for everything that you guys are doing. I always love listening and I wish you a lot of blessings and success.